Before we uh, go to the Lord in prayer, as we prepare our hearts for this service, I just want to make another announcement. Uh, just a reminder that Revive Ohio uh, begins tonight uh, and it lasts throughout this week. Um, the services are being held up at the Harvest Baptist Church up in Wapak. Um, the schedule for the week is on the back of your bulletin, I believe. And uh, so I really encourage you to, to participate as much as you can in that. Um, if you're available to, to go and be a part of it, that would be a, a great experience. And, and this is an opportunity to invite friends and family and others to hear the gospel. And that's their, that's their goal is they want to be able to reach out and, and for people who have not made a decision to follow Christ to make that decision this week. That is their, their goal, and that's a great goal to have. So I encourage you to be a part of that. I know there's some groups throughout the week that are going uh, to, to be a part of it, and so I encourage you to do that. We do have a lunch that we are hosting here at the church on Wednesday. Um, you see that on the bulletin. Um, I do want to just clarify, uh, there was some confusion there. That lunch is, is we are hosting that for the missionaries and the prayer partners that are actively, you know, that are volunteering and being a part of that, the services for that day. Um, They're sending people out into the community to pray um, in the morning and the afternoon. And so that that lunch is is for them to have that that lunch provided for them as they as they work in that area. So um, you're welcome to come and to help serve and and hear their testimonies. They'll be sharing about what God has been doing throughout the week. So it may be a great opportunity for you to be there. Uh, but the lunch itself is, is being provided for those people that are volunteering. So I just wanted to, to clarify that for you. Um, and, and I'm sure that, that the people that are putting that on, the Methodist Church and us doing that together, would appreciate any help that you may have to offer that day. Uh, so that's going on this week. Uh, it's going to be a great opportunity. I encourage you to be in, as involved as you can with that ministry happening in Wapak. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer now as we prepare our hearts for this message. Father, we are grateful for this ministry here at this church and the way that you have uh, have have been working here over these past few months as I've been settling in. And um, I'm very grateful for that and grateful for the people that you have placed here and surrounded me with, Lord, um, in this church. Lord, we also remember with this Revive Ohio going on that, that your kingdom is much bigger than First Church of New Knoxville. And so we do pray that, that not only would your word go forth from here, but would go forth from other churches that are gathered this morning. And, and ministry, Lord, for your kingdom would be done and be effective. In Christ we pray. Amen. So this message, as, as if you've been with us, we've been journeying through the book of Philippians. We're finally to chapter two, believe it or not, and uh, we'll be continuing to work through this over the next coming weeks. Uh, but this passage here that we're looking at, chapter two, it, it's connected and it continues this idea of of trying to conduct ourselves in a worthy a manner worthy of the gospel, which is a theme that we began to look at last week. Paul turns his attention away from his own struggles and his own imprisonment and the, how the gospel has progressed through that situation and begins to instruct and encourage the Philippian church to live out their faith in a more real and an everyday kind of way. And so he, he began this idea, last, and we looked at it last week, with conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And one of the things that he mentioned there was that we should strive together for the gospel. And I mentioned last week that that's a theme that we'll pick up on today. And that's what Paul does as, as he begins chapter two, he expands on that theme of what it means to strive together for the gospel. Now we're together is so important because as Christians, we have a reputation, maybe a history of, of division. 
You know, if you look at the, the history of the church and especially, you know, modern church history, we have so many denominations out there, so many different churches, and a lot of them were formed, you know, because there was a fight, there was division, there was um, an issue that the people couldn't agree on. And so instead of working through that problem, instead of working through that issue faithfully, they just decided to, to split the church, you know, right or wrong, good or bad. Um, we now have this, all these churches, all these denominations, um, and and... People look at that and say, what's going on here? Why can't, why can't you Christians get along? Why can't you Christians have, have unity? You claim to follow the same Lord, the same God, yet there's hundreds and thousands of different denominations out there. Now, I'm not saying denominations are a bad thing. I think they do serve a good purpose in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of the expressions of our faith you know, look different from one church to another, and there's nothing wrong with that. But in many ways, we do divide ourselves more than we need to and more than we ought to. Um, and we see here in Philippians that, that Christian unity, spiritual unity, is an important thing and something that we should strive for. Instead of setting up divisions and setting up barriers and setting up ways that we divide ourselves, we should look to, to have the kind of unity that's described in this passage if we hope to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, as he began to talk about at the end of chapter 1, we want to, and if we want to find contentment and joy in every circumstance, which is one of the overall themes of this book, we will need to first learn how to have spiritual unity within the body of Christ. And so we see this passage where Paul is beginning to describe what spiritual unity looks like. He begins by saying, therefore, remember it's a continuation of the conversation that's begun in the previous section. Paul's encouragement is that the Philippians would conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, and a key part of that is being united in Christ. And he goes on to describe, says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any communion, share, uh, common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. He has all these if statements, and it makes it sound like maybe he's saying you may have those things or you may not. Uh, but what Paul is really saying here, the, the word that's translated if could also be translated since. And I think that's more of the meaning here. Since you've been united with Christ, since you have tenderness and compassion, since you have the common sharing of the Spirit, it's not a question of whether these people possess those things. Those are qualities that we should all have and all possess if we claim to follow Christ. So Paul is saying, because you are united with Christ, because you, you claim to follow him, these are the kind of qualities and characteristics that you should possess. You should be united with him. You should be uh, sharing in the common, have the common sharing of the Spirit. You should have tenderness and compassion towards one another. It's not a question of if you have those things. It's a question of since you have those things, how should we conduct ourselves? Right. How should we live that out? How should it look like? What should it look like in our own lives? If we possess those qualities, what should it look like for us to be the body of Christ? And the answer is that because we possess those things, because of what Christ has done in us and his Holy Spirit lives in us, we should be united, that we should be together with one mind. Have like be like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And I think Paul's trying to make a point here, right? Like-minded, one spirit, one mind, have the same love. See, that's Paul is trying to emphasize that because we are united in Christ, all those differences that we come up with at times, all those things that sometimes divide us, 
should not outweigh the one thing that we have in common, and that is our relationship with Christ. That is the most important thing that all Christians, no matter when they've lived, where they've lived, what church they've gone to, the one thing that all Christ followers have in common is that relationship with him. And so that should unite us above and beyond any of those other um, smaller issues that may divide us. The only hope for our spiritual unity is through that common relationship with the Lord. As Christians, we may disagree on a lot of things. And some of those things we, we can agree to disagree on. You know, what, the biggest issue in American church culture is worship style. What does this worship service look like? What kind of music is played? Who, what kind of clothes do you wear? Right? What kind of uh, style is, is put into the presentation of the gospel? Those sorts of things. In the long run, as, as pastor, I want to encourage you, those are minor details, right? Those are things that, that are important. You know, some people are more inclined to one thing or another, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all have our own, you know, personal preferences or, or things that we would like to see happen, and there's nothing wrong with having those preferences. But we need to remember that the one, the, even greater than our personal preferences is that we are united in Christ, that we have that same sharing of the Spirit, that, that that's what unites us above and beyond any preferences that we may have. It's the Holy Spirit living in each one of us. Paul makes this, a very similar point in another letter, uh, this one to the church in Ephesus. Beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Very similar language to what he was encouraging the Philippians to do. He, says he, he goes on to say, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know, I don't think you could say the word one anymore right, in that passage. Right? He's trying to make a point here that is our, our common relationship with Christ that brings us together. He is Lord. There is one God. And so if we claim to follow that one God, we should be united together in that process. Now, there is room to have our personal preferences. There is room to have those things, but not at the expense of our spiritual unity in Christ. And how do we do that? How does that what does that look like practically for us? It means that we look after the interest of others above our own. Humility is the key to unity. It's not looking after our own selfish desires, but putting others' needs ahead of our own. Now, humility is not thinking less of yourself but it's thinking of yourself less. You know, we think of humility in this term of, oh, I'm no good, I'm just terrible, my opinion doesn't count, and we just go on and on with this like self-depreciating comments and, and think that that's what humility looks like. But that's not true. Humility is not, you know, beating yourself down and saying that your opinion doesn't count, but it's, but it's valuing others' interests and others' opinions above your own. And that's a hard thing to do. It's saying that that... It's better for me that you have your way than I have my way. I had a professor in, in seminary. His name was Dr. Robert Douglas. Um, he taught the Intro to Christian Worship class that I took. And, and 
he described his ideal, ideal church and ideal worship service to look like, or what it would look like. And of course, we're talking ideal here. Uh, this doesn't always work out in everyday life, but he said, as a worship leader, as a pastor, the most ideal situation is to be in a church where, where instead of people fighting over what kind of music style or what kind of service or what kind of presentation they want, they're fighting over to get, they're fighting over and trying to run each other over in order to get someone else's way. Having the maturity and understanding the importance of spiritual unity where people will say, it's not about me, it's not about what I want, it's about what you want. What helps you to connect with the Lord? What helps you to know Him better and to worship Him better? And instead of fighting over our own personal preferences, but looking at the preferences of others. That is, that's a key to, to spiritual unity. And that's what true humility looks like. It's saying that I value your opinion even more than my own. I value your desires and your needs and your interests above my own. Now, as I said, that's not an easy thing. Humility does not come easily to us. And so we need an example of what that looks like for us to follow. And that's what, exactly what Paul gives us in verses 5 through 11. He gives us the example of, of Christ as the ultimate form of humility. In verse 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he's saying, look, I know this is hard. I know this isn't going to be easy. We need to be united in Christ. We need to look after the interests of others above our own. And so I'm going to give you the perfect example of what that looks like. And he points to Christ. He points to, to Jesus and his incarnation here in this world. Beginning of verse 6, he says, Who, speaking of Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So if we want to have the kind of unity described in this chapter, we need to take on the same mindset that Christ had. Right, Christ from the very beginning was, was God and he was with God. We heard John chapter 1 as our call to worship, this, this beautiful description of, of Christ as the Word of God, as Jesus as the one who was with God in the beginning, who, through whom and in whom all things were created. And then that, that very Word, that very God became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. So, God, so Jesus, as the Son of God, was with God from the beginning. Right, The Son of God is eternal. He was there at creation. He will be there at the end of time. But He, in a sense, gave that up in order to live among us. Now, He didn't quit being God. He didn't stop being God. But He, he put that aside in order to take on human likeness, in order to be like one of us. And so He was not fully human and, and no God. He wasn't God and not really human. He was both fully God and fully man. And He dwelt among us and, and lived the life that we could not live ourselves. Not only did He become like one of us, but He lowered Himself to become a servant. And being a servant, being a slave, is the ultimate expression of putting another's interests ahead of your own. Right? The Lord came to serve, not to be served. And we see that as he gathered with his disciples at that last supper, that last meal before he was betrayed. He knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet. That was the lowest 
of the low for servants' jobs in that culture and in that day. Right? People wore sandals if they had shoes at all. And so they're walking around barefoot sometimes in the dirt and in the mud and sometimes worse things in the streets, in the cities of these streets, excuse me, in the streets of these cities. And so the feet were considered disgusting and vile and filthy and only the lowest of the low servants would have that job of washing someone's feet. And so Jesus, the Lord of all creation, bends down and he washes his disciples' feet as an act of service. And as an example that he put forth for us to follow. And really that, that, that encapsulates all of Christ's ministry in this world, right? He was very God of very God. He was God the Son who, through whom all things were created. And he lowered himself to become like one of us. Because he was putting our interests ahead of his own. And to take it even a step further, he died on the cross. The most humiliating and painful way to die. A form of execution that was reserved only for slaves and the most vile criminals and treacherous uh, people in the Roman Empire. And he did it because he was putting our interests ahead of his own. Right, John 3.16, everybody remembers that famous verse, right? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Well, the verse right after that, which we don't always memorize as part of our Sunday school, is that he came in this world not to condemn this world, but to save the world. Right? And he did it through his death on the cross, through his, his humiliation in that way. And what he was doing was he was lowering himself so that he could put our interest above his own. He was doing it to save each one of us, that while we were still sinners, he was putting our interests above his own. Philippians 9 through, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 go on to describe Christ's exaltation. After having been obedient to the Father's will, Jesus is once again exalted to his rightful place as God's very own Son. And there will come a day when all of creation will recognize this, will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and it will be to the glory of God the Father. But it's through his obedience, through his humility, that he, that, that was accomplished. And it's the example that he puts forth for us. That if we truly want to be united in Christ, if we want to be have spiritual unity in this church and in his church, big C church, right? Not just first church, but his, his church overall. We need to be united in him. And we need to follow his example. We learn that attitude leads to action. Jesus allowed his mindset to impact his, be- his behavior. behavior. He faithfully lived in response to the Father's will. Right? He, he understood that he could, that his equality with God wasn't something to be grasped, but he also put that into action through his life and his death and his resurrection. And we need to allow our attitude and mindset to impact how we live as well. We learn that humility is not easy. Jesus went through great suffering and pain in order to humble himself. When we put others' interests ahead of our own, that'll lead to some difficult decisions and probably decisions that we don't always want to make. But if we choose and if we choose not to put others' interests ahead of our own because it inconveniences us, then we'll not, we're not really being humble and we're not being united in Christ. So humility will not always be easy. But God recognizes our faithfulness. Others may not see it, but God will. We will be rewarded for our faithfulness, maybe not in this life, but certainly in the, in the life to come. And finally, in the point of that Paul is making overall in this passage is that humility leads to unity. If we follow Christ's example, it will lead to unity within the body. 
if we continue to put others' interests ahead of our own, it'll lead to unity. If we're able to think of ourselves less and look towards others instead, it'll lead to unity. So my question for you as I close is what kind of attitudes and preferences or concerns do you need to put aside? What kind of things do I need to put aside in order to put other, the needs of others ahead of our own? Right? We all have things. None of us are perfect. We all have expectations and desires for the way things go. But, but the question is, what do we need to put aside so that we can have that spiritual unity that Paul desires for the Philippian church and that I believe God desires for this church as well? I can't answer that question for you, but I pray that you take time today and this week to, to answer that for yourself and move forward in the spiritual unity that God desires for this church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the example of Christ, that he emptied himself, that he came to this world fully God and fully man and lived a life that we couldn't, for the, not only for our example, but because he is Lord of all. And through his death and his resurrection, Lord, we see that and we see your perfect plan and perfect will playing out. And so now we, we join with other believers around this world who proclaim that you are Lord of all. In Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together in closing. He is Lord, number 105.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.